As Dave mentioned, it's going to be a little bit different this morning. I thought after the events of the last week, we ought to stop and just acknowledge the, the seriousness of what's going on. It's been a very rough week. As you all know, Sean passed away in a car accident Thursday evening. Friday, as we started to notify people, when Josh got through to Emma on the phone, she told him that her son-in-law had just passed away. And when I got in touch with the molars, they told me that David's uncle had just died in a plane crash. Not the uncle with congestive heart failure, it was another uncle. So that's three, just in the last few days. And our family here is hurting a lot. There's a lot to do, a lot to coordinate, a lot of decisions to be made. Several times in the last few days, as I'd start to think through you know, the mental checklist of what we need to do, my mind would start to race through everything we need to do, and for a fraction of a second, I'd just get this instinctive thought, I haven't talked to Sean. I, I need to get Sean up to date on everything going on. Right? That can only last for a fraction of a second, right, before we realize that Sean's not with us anymore. But it, He's a part of us, right? They, the Cavenders have only been here for, what, a couple years, a little more? Um, but they're family. We're family. They're already very much, in just a couple years, very much a part of our family. In Matthew chapter 12, someone told Jesus that his mother and his brothers were looking for him. And he extended his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. That was not a slight at his biological family. That was acknowledging his spiritual family and how important they are. In Galatians 3, it says, There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, in the world, there's a lot of division, people stirring up trouble and causing strife, and, but not here. We're united in our love for Christ. We're united in our love for each other. We don't all look the same. We don't all talk the same. Don't all act the same. But in what truly matters, we are the same. We are a family. We are one. In a few moments, we're going to sing a song about how we are one. But in Scripture, Faith is an active faith. You know, out in society, faith is turned into this intellectual exercise. It's a thought. And in Scripture, faith is described by the actions that it provokes. In society, love is treated like an emotion. It's just a thought, something mental. But in Scripture, love is described by the actions it provokes. We need to show our love for one another, especially now, by our actions. And we are. In Romans 12, it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. We've had a lot of tribulation in the last week. And many people are stepping up in many ways to help. 
With the Cavenders especially, it is so disruptive when a young father unexpectedly dies. There's a lot that has to happen and a lot that needs coordinated. Many people are running around taking care of what needs taken care of. That's how it's supposed to be. Our care and our concern for each other, for our spiritual family. There's a passage in Ephesians that it starts off easy enough, but then I don't know quite what to make of the ending. In Ephesians 3, starting in verse 8, Paul says, To me, the very least of the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to enlighten all people as to the plan of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things. That much is pretty easy to understand. But then it says, so that the multifaceted wisdom of God might be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I never can make up my mind what all that implies, what all that means. The purpose of the church is to demonstrate God's wisdom to authorities in heavenly places. If we're demonstrating something, it would imply that it's something the church does. It's what we do. Maybe how we're different from the world. This morning, I can't help but think perhaps what that's getting at is, at least in part, how a seemingly random mix of people can come together, show their love for each other, their love for God. The way a seemingly random mix of people can become a strong, loving family, loving each other and showing their love for one another. What was the greatest command? Love your God. And the second, one step below that, is to love each other. Of course, in Scripture, love is an active thing. It's not just the attitude towards each other, although that is a part of it. It's the way we treat one another, the way we help one another, the way we care for one another. Several of our families are hurting right now, and they need their spiritual family. They need us to help them in some physical ways, of course, to remind them that we're there, we care, that they can lean on us. Those kids especially, Kristen and the kids, they're gonna need help for a long time. They're gonna need encouragement for a long time. One final passage in Ephesians 4, describing the church as a body, which is very much like, when it's described as a family, or when we describe it as a family, it says the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There's a lot that needs done. There's a lot that needs done that you cannot do. It's okay. There's a lot that needs done that I cannot do. That's okay. It's not worry about what you can't do or what I can't do. None of us can do everything that's needed. But every one of us can do something that's needed. 
So if you do what you can do, and I do what I can do, with God's help, we'll get through this. With God's help, it'll work out fine. That's the way a family is supposed to be, right? The proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We're now going to have a few songs about our spiritual family. Read in Ephesians 2, verses 18 and 19. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Sing number three. Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. John 17, verses 20 and 22. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the whole world may believe that you sent me, and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. You know, uh, back at the beginning of the year, we pick a theme, usually for the congregation. And this year, it was from 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, saying, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And also in Philippians 4, 4 through 9, almost the same thing again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know, these, this verse really, if you, as we look at it, you're going to see it, it really reflects. You say, well, what is there to rejoice in? And we're going to talk about that more in just a second, and that's about the resurrection. Uh, in John 5, 24 through 29, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Pray without ceasing. 
James 5.13, is everyone among you suffering? Then he must pray to anyone. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. And I guess I would stress that first part of that verse, is anyone among you suffering? Which I think is very applicable to us today. And Acts 2.42, they were constantly devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. And then also in Colossians 4.2, devote yourself to prayer. In fact, if you go in and you take a Bible context and then you look up prayer constantly all through the scriptures, it practically seems like every scripture, the, the word prayer comes up and talks about how we need to pray. And I think that is a comfort God has given us. And then also, in everything, give thanks. Um, in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our sufferings and afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the suffering of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ that we as Christians have the opportunity to be able to give thanks for that, that we can be comforted. Those in the world, the atheists, they have nothing to be comforted in, which is why usually an atheist is so scared of death because he, he has nothing to understand or know what to look forward to. But we as Christians have the resurrection. We have the blessings to be able to rejoice in that and what God has given us through Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, I wonder, there's some passages in the whole chapter. In fact, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 deals with the resurrection. And there's so much in there that can comfort us in that. Uh, in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of the first importance of what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he is buried and he is raised on the third day according to the scriptures. If Christ has raised then we too have that opportunity, which he goes on to explain later. He says in verse 12, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even to be found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men are to be most pitied. But the writer was trying to tell these people that there was a hope, but in verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, for we must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. As he has put all things subject under his feet, but when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is expected who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who 
who subjected all things to him so that God may be in all. And then in verse 35, he goes on, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? And the writer goes ahead to call them, you fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And goes on to explain that all flesh is not the same flesh, but that there is one flesh of man and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. These are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly one is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from stars in the glory. So also is a resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, it is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man Adam became a living soul, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthly the second man is from heaven. As is the earthly, so also are those who are earthly, and as the heavenly, so are also those who are heavenly. Just as we have borne the image of the earthly, we will also bear the image of the heavenly. He then goes on to explain that in verse 51, behold, which is really this, the summation of it all that the writer is trying to say, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on the immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and the mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The writer was trying to tell these people who were apparently struggling with the resurrection that it is through the death of our mortal body and through our uh, immortal body that we have that hope of that life resurrection. In James 4.14, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. We all go about our lives every day thinking we have another day. Tomorrow's another day. And, and the writer explained in uh, that Life is uncertain. We do not know, any of us here, if we will be alive tomorrow. That what God has given us, we are blessed with in this life, but life is short. And as humans, mankind, we sometimes seem to forget that in our busy lives. That when that person leaves your house in the morning, they may never come back. And that we need to, t as a family as Joe leans on, we need to always keep that in mind as we go forward and also as our spiritual life that we keep ourselves strong and faithful in the Lord because we do not know tomorrow what tomorrow will bring. Yet 
in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, he said, but, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Let me say that again. So he told these people, so, you will not grieve, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and a voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so that we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words, that we will meet the Lord, be it in this life or in our future life to come after we leave this earth. But he said, be comforted. And another thing about that, he says, reinforce re re this, that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. We as Christians, we will grieve for the loss of our loved one, that we will not be able to see those loved ones again, that we will have the, we grieve for the families that are left behind that have to struggle because their loved one has left. We grieve for them, but we do not have to grieve that terrible grief that a non-Christian has because we know there is a life. If in the resurrection, we know there is a life hereafter that we are going to leave this earth and have the immortal body that God has promised us. We can rest and comfort in that and that we have that hope of meeting our loved ones again in the future life that God has provided us. But think about those who have not Christ and how much their grief has to be when their loved one leaves. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 3, now as to the time and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For ye yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. I think that summarizes very well what um, we know in this life that it will come like a thief in the night. It will come unexpectedly as we have experienced with Sean, but the thing about Sean, he, he definitely believed in the resurrection. He believed that there, Christ died for our, his sins and our sins and that there will be a, a life in heaven with God and that that's where Sean is today with God and that we can rest in that comfort and peace knowing that. Yes, will we suffer and, and our hearts ache for his family, for the fact we won't have that person with us in the future? There's no way to get around that, but we can comfort in the fact he is with God. This time, turn it back over to Dave. That is our invitation to you. If you are here and your heart isn't right with God, as he said in the scriptures, if your heart's right with God, you have nothing to fear from death. If your heart is not right with God, then you do have something to fear. So at this time, if you'll be standing for our, our invitation song.
In closing, reading in Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. ...that I had 